Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. What is now a historic strike in California gets a surprise visitor. Starbucks roastery workers in New York City finally end a strike that went 46 days. And today on the show, we'll check in with the iron workers in Tennessee and Labor's local 955 in the state of Missouri. Welcome to the Monday. December 19th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Let's see, we have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Jason Davidson. Now, Jason is the business manager for Ironworkers Local 492, and they're based in Nashville, Tennessee, a very, very growing area and we're going to talk about that on the show ironworkers492.org is their website jason is a 27 year member of the local he's also a third generation member as he put it i have eaten off a union dinner plate most of my life and that is continuing in his household he has a 16 year old who is interested in the trade and has already been elected president of his skills at the USA program at Waverly Central High School. Also, Jason's eight-year-old daughter, eight years old, is raised to know what the union has provided for her. He says she loves that her daddy is an iron worker and builds cool things. Is that, is that cool or what? Ironworkers Local 492 has been chartered in Nashville since uh, 1936, and its founding members were all organized into that local. We'll talk about the growth in Nashville and how important it is for union ironworkers. They may not be the cheapest, as he said, but we have to be the best at what we do. Erecting steel beams at dangerous heights is not a common nine-to-five time clock job. As he put it, we are professional athletes in the construction industry, and we have to perform as such. We'll also talk about organizing. The local 492 is currently in the process of expansion. Membership is on the rise thanks to organizing and outreach efforts by the local membership. So Jason Davidson will be our first guest. Then we're going to go to uh, Missouri for Andrew Hutchinson. Now, Andrew is the public sector union rep for Lyuna, local 955. Previously, he served as a government affairs coordinator for local 10 in St. Louis, another Lyuna chapter. Grew up in Columbia, Missouri, received his bachelor's in history and sociology, and his master's in social work at Washington University in St. Louis. Lyuna Local 955 represents over 1,200 public sector employees in various cities, cities of uh, Kirksville, Truman State, also at the uh, University of Missouri. We'll talk about the importance of getting their members and community members involved in their work, actions during bargaining, how you can fight the boss without striking and win. 
And uh, here's what they did. They recently put up a rat and did a rally at a small university in semi-rural northern Missouri and saw dividends in their relationship in bargaining with management. According to Andrew, we demonstrated that even actions in small bargaining units in small towns are very effective. And we'll also talk about external organizing as well. Andrew Hutchinson, union rep for uh, Labor's Local 955 in the state of Missouri. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Now in the second month of their historic strike, tens of thousands of academic workers at the University of California system are ramping up the pressure on management to secure a good contract. Well, last week, workers held a massive rally on the UCLA campus at the site of a meeting of the university's Board of Regents. I mean, got to get right in their face, right? The workers, and these are academic workers who are members of the UAW, demanded the regents intervene in the labor dispute, saying that the school's negotiators have failed to offer a fair contract that they can accept. Well, the strike rally drew the support of many members of the labor movement, including the president of the Los Angeles Federation of Labor and this guy, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. You may remember him some years ago when he appeared at various rallies when a number of governors were attacking collective bargaining. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. My name is Tom Morello, and I'm a union man. I've been a member of Los Angeles Musicians Local 47 for 33 years. I'm a proud card-carrying member of the Industrial Workers of the World. It's an honor to be with you here today. I was leaving the house today, and my kids said, where are you going with your tires? I'm going to UCLA to play for striking graduate students. Why the hell are you going to UCLA to play for striking graduate students? I said, because they're making history, and I don't want to miss it. My mom, Mary Morello, was a public high school teacher in Illinois for over 30 years. And we were never rich, but we always had enough clothes on our backs, food in our bellies, and guitar amps in our basements, because my mom was a union high school teacher. On October 1st, she turned 99. I talked to her last night, and she sends solidarity to all of you to hear me today. This first song is a fighting song. Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, great guy. Uh, in fact, I had the opportunity to run into him at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum a couple of years ago. Made an appearance there, but uh, he is a big union supporter. Just Google the name Tom Morello, and you'll find a, a lot of good stuff about him. Definitely on the side of workers, no doubt about that. Workers at the Starbucks Reserve Roastery Flagship. This is on Manhattan's 9th Avenue, New York City. Finally ended a seven-week-long strike and returned to work last week after securing an agreement that commits the coffee chain to, on a regular basis, 
scrub equipment at outposts nationwide. The workers, all members of Starbucks Workers United, filed complaints about moldy ice machines as well as bed bugs. <laughs> you, may, you may think twice about going to a Starbucks now. This is a roastery, keep in mind, that workers decided to return to work after three meetings with Starbucks reps and health and safety experts reviewing dozens of inspection reports and a dog-led bed bug inspection that found the store free of pests. In order to further address the bed bug issues, the company also agreed to cover the cost of home pest inspections at workers' requests. Now, all three Starbucks Reserve Roastery stores, the company's premium outlets, will also now get their ice machines cleaned on a regular basis. Got a comment here from uh, one of the workers. You know what? Our work isn't over. We need to continue to hold management accountable. And being back inside, we will do that as partners together. We are excited to return to work, but we recognize that our fight as a unionized store has just begun. <sighs> Unbelievable what workers have to deal with. My God. Workers at uh, homegrown cafes, this is in uh, Seattle, have won their National Labor Relations Board union election just weeks after the company's wholesale distribution workers won theirs. The cafe workers said they are eager to join their distribution colleagues in negotiating a fair contract that will provide wages, benefits, health and safety protections that would make their jobs at homegrown sustainable. Both groups of workers have organized with Unite Here Local 8. The Transport Workers Union is throwing its weight behind the emergency vacating of Aircraft Cabin Act, or better known as EVACT Act. This is a bill to ensure that the Federal Aviation Administration uses real-life scenarios while testing evacuation safety on board airplanes. John Samuelson is president of the transport workers, and he said the EVAC Act is necessary because a lack of sufficient standards can add stress to an already intense situation. Boy, that's one to follow, no doubt about that. And let's see, we have uh, another organizing win here. 76% of workers at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Cultural and Educational Arm, this is the Academy Foundation, have signed union cards in California in support of union representation with AFSCME District Council 36. Now, this means that some 90 workers across the Foundation's Academy Film Archive will be uh, having AFSCME representation throughout the Academy Foundation Workers' Union, and they will join employees of the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, who also formed a union and won voluntary recognition from management back in July. Good news there. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the iron workers in the city of Nashville, Tennessee. This is America's Workforce. 
It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. In fact, we'll be uh, checking in with Melissa Cropper, president of the OFT, tomorrow. Right now, let's go to Nashville, Tennessee, and join Jason Davidson. Jason is the business manager of Iron Workers Local 492 website. Real simple, ironworkers492.org. And right now, 492 has just shy of 500 members, 475 to be exact, and they want to grow that number. We'll talk about that with Jason. Jason Davidson, welcome to uh, America's Workforce, and I'm reading that you're a 27-year member of Local 492, Talk to me about getting involved in the in the iron workers. I, I guess you kind of grew up union, didn't you? I did grow up union. Um, I wore union shoes for, for most of my childhood. Union clothes ate off a union dinner table for most of my childhood. I'm third generation here at the local. Uh, my dad and, and my mother's uh, stepdad, my grandfather, were, were also members here. I had a couple uncles, several cousins along the way that have joined here also. So it's in our family. Um, you know, I, from a young age, you know, I didn't really understand what ironworkers did, but I understand what I understood what ironworkers did for my family and what my dad was able to provide by working union. And um, I knew when I got into high school, I kind of, you know, um, after my sophomore year of high school, I kind of made my mind up I probably was not going to college. But I wanted a good paying job where I could afford some of the better commodities of life, you know, and, you know, be able to have a tangible return every evening. So, you know, I looked into the iron workers and 
my uncles and my dad basically said, hey, if you're not going to college, you're going to work, and here's your route. You know, here's your conduit in if you want to make a good living for yourself. So 27 years later, here I am. There you go. How many years as business manager, Jason? I'm actually uh, newly appointed October the 8th of 2022 was my first day. I've served several, you know, positions here at the local. I was hired in 2016 as the local's first full-time organizer ever. Um, So that was kind of a pilot program that we took off with here, uh, myself and the current, the, the, the business manager that I actually replaced. Um, we did that for about six years, six or seven years, and then mm-hmm. come on um, staff as a business manager when when uh, the former business, business manager retired. I was reading earlier that your son is interested in the trade, in, in specifically in, uh, in ironworking, and he's only, what, 16 years of age? Yeah, he's 16. He's a junior in high school. Um, currently serves as president of his Skills USA program there at the high school, and um, he takes it serious. He he really loves the metal trades and loves welding and fabricating, and you know all the things that come along with it. Of course, he's you know for 16 years he's been a part of it um, indirectly. Um, but there again, like I was years ago, he he sees the value in union wages coming into our household and what it can do for us. Right. Um, I'm a single parent, and I raise uh, two kids on a single income, and I could not do that without this organization. I hear you. Tell me more about this um, Skills USA program, and I see that's at, uh, what is it, Waverly Central High School? That's I take yeah. it that's right in Nashville then? It's outside of Nashville, west of Nashville, about 75 miles. Um, <clears throat> it was my alma mater also, the high school I graduated from, same same uh, program. We didn't have Skills USA at the time, but we had. It's the same vocational program that I went through when I was in high school. Same direction, just um, you know, it's gotten a little better with technology. Yeah. Um, Skills USA. Is a, it's a national wide organization, um, and basically, that's what it does. Is it it um, caters to teenagers that want to seek professions in the metal trades or in any type of trade. Um, Skills USA basically gives them a direct conduit to these different, you know, disciplines. You know, you can, I, th- I know some of the schools are doing carpentry and electrical programs. And like our, our high school, um, one of our former retired members here, um, Gary Watts, is actually the instructor there over that program, over that welding program at Waverly Central High School. So it's a cool conduit there again for these teenagers to learn about us. You know, um, Mm -hmm. without actually hearing their parents, you know, drumming into them, they can actually hear it from somebody who's experienced the life. And, um, you know, I remember when I was in high school, my welding teacher had a stack of trades applications on his desk and and files. And you could go up when you turned 18 and pull an application out, whatever trade that you wanted to be involved in, and actually fill an application out to the apprenticeship there while you're still in high school and i would like to see that happen more you know i would like to see that expansion happen more in our public schools yeah i think it is i've i've had a number of conversations with people like yourself saying that uh, a lot of the high school counselors today realize that college isn't for everyone i mean it's come on now 
And, and, and I think the student debt situation, the cost of college, number one, and then you're stuck with that student debt. Now you go into uh, an apprenticeship program, you're getting a heck of an education there. In fact, some equate the education, the, the, the price tag for the education you get in an apprenticeship program is probably around forty to $45,000. That's nothing to sneeze about. I mean, you learn a lot in that program, don't you? I mean, you could speak to that right now, can't you? Yes, absolutely. You know, our program is, is all hands-on, and it's a um, it's a earn-as-you-learn program. So you're actually enrolled into the apprenticeship program, but you're still working. You're working for our contractors out here while you're enrolled in this apprenticeship program. So you're you're not only getting the classroom time, but you're getting on-the-job training as well. You know, you're not – all your time is not consumed in a classroom, you know, with no financial return. Yeah. And our apprenticeship program costs a mere $75 a year um, to join. And, you know, the cost of that is very minimal for, for what you get in return. You know, our organization is prepared to spend tens of thousands of dollars on these apprentices to get them trimmed and fit, ready, you know, fit for duty and ready for the real world in the ironworking industry. And we don't ask for anything back but participation. You have uh... – how many apprentices in your program right now, Jason? Um, we're we're uh, currently in, instructing about ninety apprentices total. Um, we like to stay right around the twenty five percent, twenty to twenty five percent of our membership. We like to see uh, at a minimal being apprentices, um, and we have fluctuated. We've gotten up as many as one fifteen, and in the last five to seven years, we've gotten down as as many as seventy five. Yeah, but we like to, our sweet spots right around ninety to a hundred is what we like to keep enrolled. That's good. Now, from what I've been reading, Nashville is on fire when it comes to uh, growing the population around there. I heard a couple of numbers not too long ago, like a hundred people a day are moving into Nashville. I don't know what's going on over there. Maybe you can speak to that, but obviously, with the with a city. As popular as Nashville, the growth in there, there's got to be tons of opportunities for the trades. Talk to me about that, there, Jason. There is. Every every trade affiliated with a building trades is in desperate need for, for help right now as far as um, workers goes. Um, you are right. There's 75 to 100 people per day moving into the city. Out of, the, out of that total, 15 to 20 of those people are immigrants. Um, it's this is the city to be, and the population bounced over a million a few years back, and it just keeps steadily growing. You know, the the NFL has done some projections here. Um, we actually held the NFL draft a couple of years ago. Over five hundred thousand people came to the city that weekend. Um, the NFL wanted to be sure that the city could handle uh, that much impact, which we did very, mm. you know, respectfully. So now the NFL's targeting us, Nashville, for a Super Bowl, uh, contingent on us getting our new stadium built, you know, by the year 2026. Um, you know, everywhere you look downtown, you know, Nashville's not a big city. You can pretty much park and walk anywhere you need to go downtown or uh, or ride the Eagle scooters. We're one of the few cities where you can get the uh, little two, two-wheel moped scooter rental. But uh, you can ride a scooter or, or walk anywhere you need to go in town, 
you know, and there's probably in any given day, there's 25 to 30 tower cranes sticking up in the city. Um, every vacant lot, every vacant brick building, every, you know, um, vacant business is getting torn down and there's a mid rise or high rise going up in its place. Um, it's just, it's just part of it. The, the growth is absolutely phenomenal. Our, our airport is actually doubled in size and the process of doubling in size. There's a full, um, concourse of, uh, for the Im- immigrant passengers coming into Nashville from other countries. Uh, that's what we've expanded all that in a new fuel terminal. Um, everything is doubling in size here. Jason, i got to take a quick break here. Jason Davidson joining us on our live line right now from Nashville, Tennessee, where he serves as business manager for Ironworkers Local 492. We'll continue with him, Andrew Hutchinson, on behalf of Labor's Local 955 out of Missouri, will be joining us later in the show. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire-stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Nashville, Tennessee right now. Rejoin Jason Davidson. Jason is the business manager of Iron Workers Local 492 ironworkers492.org. Jason, you mentioned uh, the growth of Nashville in the first segment here, and uh, one uh, part of that is the immigrant population. We're seeing that in various cities. Nashville is no exception. That being said, Jason, you know immigrants have been demonized for 
many, many years, especially right now with uh, the situation on the Texas-Mexico uh, border. I'm just wondering, in Nashville, how are, how are immigrants being accepted? And I know the trades are looking for workers, and they know, hey, you know what? Immigrants, they're doing a really good job in the trades. Can you speak to that, Jason? Yeah, you know, Nashville, of course, you know, being in the South, immigrants immigrants are, I feel like, portrayed a little bit different. Um, uh, they're held to a different criteria, maybe. But the fact of the matter is, when I started organizing uh, union workers six to seven years ago, we understood the demographics of our local had to change and our membership was well on board with that. And uh, my business manager at the time was compatible with that also. So we went out and started seeking, you know, more Hispanic, more African-American, more uh, immigrant workers to our membership. And we actually were able to to grow our membership by about 20% just by kind of taking our blinders off. You know, we've always had a good, solid membership here but, I mean, truth is, um, you know, a successful local or a successful union, you know, has to open their doors and at least give the opportunity to uh, folks who aren't middle-aged white Americans. Right. Um, that's the key to success um, in numbers. And we we recognize this. And like I said, I had a a real good committee here at the hall that worked with me on that and i had a real good business manager that worked with me on that you know i cannot you know our our contractors hire these folks so i cannot you know tell them who they can and can't hire that they run their businesses and they you know they have to e-verify their workers and they have to go through all the government documents to um verify their workers that's not on me when a when a person comes through our door to sign up as a membership um our international only requires them to have a nine-digit number whether it's a a work visa number or a social security number whatever it is you know and from that point on they are dispatched to our contractors and our contractors handle the details of employment Mm -hmm. how are you doing at uh, 492 reaching out to uh, you know minorities women um people of color i'm just it, it sounds like you're pretty diverse where where are we, we are. right now we are we um our diversity has changed a lot in the last 10 years um we're, we're you know there again we're for lack of a better term we're fishing in different fishing holes now than what we used to um we have folks um that help us with the international also that speak fluent spanish i have um constituents online that i can call if i have a spanish speaking iron worker come in the hall you know and that that's a misconception also is these folks come in a lot of these hispanic folks come in and they speak english and they, and they speak really you know really good english um as a second language that does not mean they necessarily read good English. So our local has taken some of our training material um, and and converted it over to Spanish. So the Hispanic workers have an option for training. Um, and we've actually have worked with our international um, here out of Nashville, getting that 
training transferred over to at the international level so the international can start distributing it out to other locals. Um, that's helped us out a lot in growing our membership and I guess increasing uh, that partition that was built at one time to influence these Hispanic workers from not coming into our organization. Um, we kind of broke that barrier down a few years back. There again, you know, our contractors are going to have to have workers that can e-verify and go through that process that the government requires, but that's on our contractors. That's not on the local union. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I got to salute the iron workers uh, nationally, very progressive union. They were the first to uh, grant maternity leave to uh, the female members and other unions are picking up on that now. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great bunch there, by the way, I don't know if I told you this, but, uh, the uh, this show is recorded Monday through Friday at Ironworkers Local 17 in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. They have about let's say about 850 900 members. So know a lot about ironworkers. I know a lot ever since I've been doing the show from here. Jason, uh, I want to talk about organizing. You're at 475. Obviously, you want to grow the union, but I tell you, you got some politicians down there that don't understand what unions are all about. And I want to go back to what happened here at the polls on this right-to-work situation, how they enshrined it in the uh, the Constitution, which they didn't have to do. They really didn't have to do that. But uh, I, yeah. I know the iron workers. You had a lot of unions fighting the, on this uh, situation. Unfortunately, they uh, they did what they did. How, uh, how do you feel moving forward with that being said, Jason? You know, right-to-work has been here since the 40s in Tennessee. You know, it's like you said, they didn't have to embed it in the Constitution. All it was, they were just burying the dagger that much farther. Um, You're right. Our elected officials down here, some of them just don't get it. They don't understand it. Um, You know, and and that bill was written in such a manner, that amendment was written in such a manner to confuse the voters. I know several people that went to the polls and voted for that amendment, one, because they thought it would help the union. They thought it would actually um, uh, cater to the unions when it was the exact opposite. But that's exactly how, you know, the the representatives wrote the bill. They wrote the amendment. They wanted to con- kind of confuse the voters. If you read the, the the bill there, it looks like everybody has to be union. If you join a union um, or if you're employed with a, a union employer, everybody has to be a union that works there. Well, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Everybody has a right whether they want to be union or not. And an employer, you know, through the National Labor Relations Board, cannot enforce that to its employees. That's a chosen right. Mm-hmm. Okay? So to for them, for, for the other side of the spectrum, to put out that everyone who works for a union employer will have to be union and have to pay union dues. That's how that amendment was written, which is totally incorrect. Right to work is is deteriorates union standards. Um, I know, like, Missouri has done a, you know, they fought it off for, for a little while. Virginia's fought it off for a little while. The fact of the matter is we've been living here for, you know, since the 40s. And right to work is, is not what it says. It's not the right to work. It's actually the right to work for decreased wages and benefits. 
You know, um, mm-hmm. it gives right to work gives the employer more leverage over the workers. Um, every worker in that organization or in that company is expendable at any time. You know, there's right to will employment here. That means you have the right to fire and right to hire without any explanation. So if my boss wants to walk up to me and terminate my position, they can do that and send me home and hire somebody in my place the next day with no explanation. Yep. You know, that's just that's just one small piece of right to work. Um, it's taken right to work has has taken away our state prevailing wage. Uh our wages do not prevail on any state tax dollar funded jobs. You know, I honestly honestly believe that taxpayers ought to have a say so in who works on on state funded projects. You know, if I'm gonna pay my taxes to the state and that money is going toward a contract, I ought to have a say so who works on that contract. You where bet. it's just the exact opposite. The taxpayers pay for the for the project and then the owner of that project, the state, gives it to the lowest bidder. You know, and, and we all know that, you know, the union guys aren't necessarily the cheapest guys. You know, we we've got to be the best, but that doesn't make us the cheapest. Right. So, you know, it's basically you're comparing apples to oranges when you get down to the bottom dollar. Jason, let me ask you this. You you mentioned those uh, low bid projects. I have to ask the question here. I'm sure that's happened a lot. And I'm sure that in many cases, once the project is done, they may have to redo a few things because it wasn't done correctly or they didn't go for the union. I, I bet you there's a number of uh, things that uh, that you can talk about on that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's and that's kind of the the deal with going with the, the low price guys, you know, the, the owners feel like they can do it twice and still be money ahead. Well, that's not, that's not how the world was built. Right. Okay. If, if the Romans had to build the pyramids twice, they never got them done. <laughs> you know, you, you, you build once for the, for the right dollar amount, you know? Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of what a lot of these, State authorities, you know, um, feel like they're like, well, we we can still hire the lower guy twice. He can mess it up once and mm-hmm. come back and fix it. We're still cheaper than the, than the union guys were. Yeah, you know, when in fact the truth is, a lot of our union contractors are bidding right with these guys, or are just a little bit above the open shop guys, and they're still not getting a chance. So, Amazing. I don't know, but there's got to be some changes made. There's no reason why, you know, all this state highway work here in Tennessee is going non-union. You know, all the state bridge work's going non-union. You know, these are critical projects. Our families are traveling these roads every day. Mm-hmm. Our families are crossing these bridges every day. Experience and craftsmanship ought to say fathoms for who gets those projects, who's awarded those projects, not whoever the cheapest bidder is. Well, at least in the bipartisan infrastructure law, they have a lot of, uh, first of all, buy American goods in there, and there's a lot of union provisions. So uh, on federal highways, you're going to see definitely a lot of union jobs there. 
Uh, one more question here, Jason, before you go. You're at 475. I know you're doing a lot of organizing there in Nashville. Where do you see that number going maybe in the next uh, year, two years, five years? Man, I'll be honest with you. I, I would like to see, you know, our, our goal is a, you know, 8 to 10% increase every year. Um, you know, you set the bar high. That's that's my deal. I'm going to set the bar high, and we're going to work our butts off to get to that point. Um, you know, we're we're looking at expanding our facility. Um, the the growth of membership and the growth of our apprenticeship. We're about to outgrow our facility here in Nashville. Um, we're actually looking at other options for a training center, for a bigger training center, bigger office complex to do that. You know, we'll have to facilitate it with membership. You know, I would like to see our membership grow um, 100, maybe even 200 members in the next 10 years. Um, but the only way we're going to do that is we're going to have to get out here, you know, and get our boots on the ground, and we're going to have to find that niche out there, you know, and and, and we're going to have to um, organize. We're going to have to get out here and get some new folks in. We're going to have to introduce some people to our union that's never been introduced to our union before. You know, along with that, we may get some companies in the process you know, that have a good, um, stable employment and, and we can sign those companies up to union contracts as well. All right. We'll leave it on that note. Jason Davidson joining us on our live line today from Nashville, Tennessee, where he serves as business manager of Iron Workers Local 492 website, Iron Workers, that's plural, Ironworkers 492 dot org Jason, I really enjoyed the conversation with you. Good luck to you and as well as your son over there in, uh, in high school, he's a junior, and he's looking into the trades right now. So we're going to grow the trades. We'll, we'll grow it from the inside out. That's exactly what's going to happen here. You take care, my brother. We'll talk, uh, let's say, maybe five, six months down the road in the new year. How's that sound? Absolutely. Hopefully by then I'll have some good news on this NFL Titan Stadium by then. Okay, buddy. You take care. Best of the holiday season to you, okay? You too. Have a Merry Christmas. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Andrew Hutchinson is a union rep with uh, Lyuna Local 955 in Missouri. He's coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. 
United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. And remember this. If you like a show, please share that show. We count all of our downloads, our sponsors like that. We want to grow the show. And you can help us grow the show. Just go to awfpodcast.com. If you miss something, it's all archived there. All right, let's go to Columbia, Missouri right now. Joining us on line number two is Andrew Hutchinson. Andrew is the public sector union representative for Lyuna Local 955. Previously, he served as a government affairs coordinator for Lyuna Local 110. That was uh, in the city of St. Louis. Also, a founding local organizer of Mid-Missouri Jobs with Justice, and he grew up in uh, Columbia, Missouri. Andrew, welcome to uh, America's Workforce. And what's the, uh, what's the status of uh, 955 right now uh, when it comes to representation? Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so our local represents a bunch of public sector units uh, all throughout mid-Missouri. So, you know, I like to say that the city of Centralia is our smallest unit. It has 13 members. Um, and then all the way up to the University of Missouri system. So that's UMKC in Kansas City, uh, MU Healthcare, which is the hospital system in Columbia, and Mizzou in Columbia as well, um, the University of Missouri Columbia, which has uh, almost 1,200 union eligibles. So we're, we're a bunch of small public works units, and then we're also some pretty massive universities as well. Um, gotcha. Right in the heart of Missouri. Very diverse union. I know there there's a lot in the in the trades that deal with uh, Lyuna. In fact, Lyuna is our presenting sponsor, Terry O'Sullivan, great guy, general president, Lyuna.org. Uh, University of Missouri, I understand there was some, uh, some uh, I guess, a couple of rallies there. Something about yeah. uh, paid time off benefit. What, what's the story over there? So uh, the University of Missouri, well, the entire University of Missouri system, so that's four campuses, so that's Rolla, St. Louis, UMKC, and then uh, previously mentioned stuff here in Columbia. Um, they made some pretty sweeping changes. It affects 13,000 folks. We only represent a small fraction of those. Uh, and what they did is uh, they, they said it was very convenient. It makes a lot of sense. Um, they took vacation, sick, and personal leave, and they combined it all into paid time off. Uh, but when HR employees human resources employees are doing the math, they always end up with less time. So they ended up shaving about two weeks of full time off from everybody. Um, so we had a bunch of rallies about it. And currently, um, unfortunately, we weren't able to generate enough pressure. So there's about a two-year implementation period. There's still a lot of questions hanging in the balance of what's going to happen to folks' accrued time um, and a lot of other uh, in the weeds details, but the university has been on a trajectory of benefits cuts from for some time. 
That that seems to be a big issue today. Maybe you could speak to that. I mean, wages obviously are always an issue, especially in inflationary times like what we're in right now. But uh, there's got to be some work-life balance going on. And uh, I'm just wondering, are you seeing that more and more, especially in uh, 955? You know, so we uh, represent workers at the City of Columbia Public Works. Um, and one of the biggest bargaining issues that people have brought up in bargaining surveys Yes, it was wages, but you actually see a lot of, you know, and it's a public works department. It's mostly men. Um, and I think people assume paid family leave is a quote unquote women's issue. But we've got a lot of young fathers or young soon to be fathers who are looking at these jobs and saying, you know, what would keep me is if when I had a kid, I could spend three, six months at home and not have to worry about losing all my sick or vacation time or going without a paycheck. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest issues uh, that we've seen. And some employers like Truman State um, up north in Kirksville, uh, little liberal arts college in northern Missouri, they are recognizing that. And if they can't move on wages as quickly as they would like, they're actually extending paid parental leave um, unilaterally uh, to our members. So while some employers are recognizing that work-life balance is how we're going to keep people, uh, there are other employers that are only looking at that bottom dollar. Yeah, um, exactly. And just making cuts. Andrew, let's let's talk about getting the message out. And, uh, you know, when workers get frustrated, they, they take a strike authorization vote. I've seen many times as soon as they take that vote, all of a sudden you, you get a tentative agreement. Uh, sometimes you got to go a little bit more. And I, I bring up uh, Scabby the Rat. <laughs> Scabby the Rat gets everybody's attention. I understand that happened recently down there. Yeah, we, uh, we've we deployed him a couple of times. Um, I, think, I think the Rat, a lot of folks in bigger metro areas are understand what it is. Um, it becomes an interesting educational opportunity. I mean, Kirksville is a much smaller town. Uh, we put it up at Truman State during some tense wage negotiations last year. Um, and I think that was a reason why negotiations went so well this year. Um, we put it up last year at Mizzou, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, that's when they were trying to remove our grievance rights. Um, and we were able to, to beat that back. But we had a lot of questions from college students at both campuses who had never seen it before. And then some folks from, you know, frankly, the Chicago and St. Louis areas who were very aware of what it, what it was and, you know, came by and gave us props and asked yeah. what the dispute was about. Yeah, uh, Scabby has definitely gotten some attention. In fact, during the Trump administration, they tried to, uh, I guess, suppress Scabby in various ways, but, but scabby one, scabby one, no doubt about scabby that. One. Andrew, I want to talk about organizing and I'll tell you, uh, Missouri, well, you had a fight right to work there. I don't know the status over there now. I'm sure there's lawmakers that like to still put it on the table, but, uh, organizing, how do we look, especially going into uh, 2023? So, um, on the, on the public sector side, what I'll tell you is, you know, well, I'll start with right to work. I mean, so I think Missouri is the only state that has beat it twice. Um, so we're happy about that. And I think the overwhelming defeat of right to work twice uh, really shows if you're on the doors talk, 
folks. Um, they may be Republican, they may be Democrat, but they're pretty clear. Uh, unions have a lot of good family history behind them throughout the state. Uh, and when it comes to organizing, when you see these employers making these cuts, um, I think folks are ready to fight. I, I think they're ready to organize in their workplaces. I think we just have to go out and show them the path. Um, we've had a lot of folks reaching out, um, and they're not always developing into immediate campaigns, but, you know, I think the anger and frustration, and I think COVID absolutely led to folks realizing that they don't have to stay in a job that they can't stand. Um, and I think it's our job in the labor movement to not walk up to those folks and encourage them to quit, but talk to them about making their workplace better and bringing a union contract in. I mean, it was during COVID that actually my wife organized her workplace into the Teamsters. So, you know, it, I'm seeing folks in non-traditional union workplaces constantly uh, finding ways to organize their workplace. And we just got to make sure that we're giving them the ladder to do it. Yeah. Well, you have to have some goals in mind, especially with a union-friendly administration. You got a National Labor Relations Board that is at least uh, giving some uh, some unions some clout that they didn't have in the previous administration. You got to feel good about going forward, though, don't you? Yeah, we we feel great. Um, our our primary goals, unfortunately, uh, are not helped by uh, a friendly NLRB in public sector in Missouri. Which I think my old my old supervisor used to tell me it was it's basically the Wild West. There's not many rules on what you can do, but there's not really many rules on what you can't do either. Um, so, but we're looking at a lot of different units across mid-Missouri, uh, outstate and rural areas. You know, I think we often don't look at them as organizing opportunities. We just assume that, you know, the higher density, uh, more compact areas like Kansas city and St. Louis, that's where we should put all of our organizing focus. And I think that's a big strategic mistake. I think we have to start talking to smaller units and smaller areas because you can, you can do a lot of good and, win a lot of hearts and minds in places that most people just drive right over. Yeah, one person at a time. Andrew yep. Hutchison, thank you so much for joining us today. Andrew is a union rep for Labor's Local 955, based in Columbia, Missouri, and, of course, uh, Labor's International presenting sponsor of America's Workforce, and we certainly do appreciate that. You take care, stay safe, brother, and uh, keep in touch with us in the new year, okay? Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having All me right. on. You got it. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Ohio Federation of Teachers and Insulators Local 8. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.